0: Uh, these are all the ones that are off uh, my shelf, at least. All of those are our Bibles. And uh, it's not hard for us to understand how the world gets confused about this book that we rely on.
1: And so as we're doing the God questions today,
0: today we're going to ask about uh, the Bible. Is it really true? You know, it comes out in so many different flavors. It's like fasting and an ice cream, right? so many different translations, so many different flavors, uh, how can we know that this book is true? This morning, we're going to take the time to try to uncover, uh, not covers cover all of these books, but uncover some truth about this book. Is the Bible truth? Uh, let's uh, pray as we begin our time together in our morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning We pray that you would uh, open up our hearts this morning and help us to discern. Of that truth that you've written so long ago and endures from generation to generation. Help us not see the book; it's just a, a stack of books bound together. But uh, see it as, as your life giving word. We thank you for this opportunity. Now we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One thing we like to do is give the Bible away, and so this morning we've got the, the Bible to give away to some of our young people. Uh, we always. Uh, give it to some of our young folks, and if we've missed anybody, uh, let me know, and we'll get you a Bible. But I know a couple of you are in the room. Uh, Michael is in the room, right? David, yeah, you're Michael. Aren't you Michael? Michael, how's your last name, Michael? She wrote, yeah, Michael. There you go, that's just for you. Awesome. Brandon, Brandon is in the room. That's just for you. That's a Bible, and then there's also a journal there for you, too, so that you can read and learn the journal as well. Let's see. Is Caleb in the room? Okay, Caleb's in the room. And Bryce. Is Bryce in the room? No, different Caleb. Sorry. What grade is Caleb in? First grade. Yeah, we do it in third grade. Sorry, Caleb. sorry, Caleb Gutowski. My fault. Uh, And Bryce, counselor? Oh, okay. We'll see those goes for those guys. So, we give away Bibles that are around 3rd grade and above. So, if you're 3rd grade and above and you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. So, uh, come see me after this. If you're uh, 3rd grade and above, you don't have the Bible. We'll see if you get a Bible. in Okay? Okay. All
1: right. Today, we're going to uh, talk about
0: uh, the Bible. And as we move forward in our series about... Uh, God questions, and uh, let me start you with a story. There was a little girl who was sitting on her grandmother's uh, lap, and uh, she was absolutely thrilled because her grandmother was now giving her the family Bible. You know the family Bible, right? Kids, by the way, you have kids camp. I forgot that. Kids go to kids camp. Well, the kids are heading out to kids camp. You got to jump out and just go. Sometimes you get it. There you go. Anyway, the little girl was all excited because finally she was going to uh, uh, get the family Bible. And she got the grandmother Grandma had given her just a little, you know, children's Bible, a little story about the children's Bible. She'd given her one of those when she was old enough to read. Now she was just a little older. And so it was the big moment. So Grandma got the big family Bible out gave it to her. And they sat on Grandma's lap. And they leased through the Bible. And they looked at the places in there where, you know, it's got the recording moment the Birth dates for everybody that's born and the marriages and all that kind of stuff that goes in the family Bibles. And uh, finally, the mother, grandmother said, You know, sweetie, this is a really important Bible to our family. And it's the King James Version. And boy, I'm sure it's just going to make all the difference in, in your life. And I'm really happy to give you this Bible. The little girl just was so amazed. She leafed through it little by little. And then the grandmother said, Sweetheart, do you have any questions about our family Bible? The little girl said, well, Grandma, only one. She said, which virgin was the mother of Jesus? Was it Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? <laughs> Did you get that? Yeah, was it worth the work? Maybe it wasn't worth the work. Right? I needed something to get the kids, kids camp. so I Anyway, we're going to talk about the Bible. The question out there in the world is, is the Bible true? And uh, remember, as we're doing this, we're trying to answer these God questions, not uh, for the world, uh, and not just for ourselves, but for both. We're trying to answer the God questions for you who are in the room here, so that when you go out back in the, into the world, and somebody starts talking to you, or you start talking to them about the Bible, uh, you can answer some of these questions. You can answer some of the questions that the world's going to throw at you about you know, doubting and, and uh, doubting whether it's true or not. So today it's about answering, is the Bible true, so that when that comes up in your life as you're uh, talking with someone, you can speak with some authority about understanding and pointing some things up that will appeal to their reason, okay? not just going the scripture and say, see, but will appeal to their reason, and hopefully before the morning is done, you'll see just by some reason how incredible this book is. Well, the book itself tells us something about it. In uh, Proverbs 35, uh, Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God is flawless. You see that? Every word of God is flawless. It is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Do not add to His words, or He will regroup you and prove you a liar. So the Bible is making its own claims about itself. And one of the claims it makes is that it is flawless. Okay? So if you're doing the half sheet, you've got some stuff to fill in there. That's one of them. It says the Bible claims to be flawless. So if you go to the American Heritage Dictionary, and you look up that word flawless, it says to be without imperfection, blemish, or defect. Okay. So what is the claim about the Bible? The claim about the Bible is that what we have is what God wants us to have. And therefore, it is absolutely perfect. Because it is exactly what God wants us to have. Now, notice, it is not saying that the American Bible Society, who reprints and republishes hundreds of thousands of Bibles every year, it's not saying that they've never made a mistake in their setting out the type, and there hasn't been some typographical errors and those kinds of things. It's simply saying. That what we have in the Bible is exactly what God wants us to have. That the Bible is flawless in its ability to communicate to our human lives and our human circumstances. That it came out of that experience. That God worked through the lives of real people, living real lives in real places, in real time, in real circumstances, and he... Brought the Holy Spirit into the mix of those real circumstances, and out of it came His Word. And what came out of that experience of Him working in the lives of these people is a Bible that He wants us to have. That God speaks through this book, and when God speaks, He speaks flawlessly. You get it? It is an incredible book. It is a book through which God can work and speak in every generation. In every generation. And as much as it came out of the reality of human lives, so it speaks to the reality of human lives as well. Let's look at that. Where does the Bible come from? Where does the Bible come from? If you take a look at the uh, table of contents uh, for the Bible, you'll see that the Bible is made up of all different kinds of literature. Primarily, in the Old Testament, is made up of history and poetry and prophecy, and that amounts to 39 books. If you look at the New Testament, the New Testament is made up of history, letters, and prophecy, and that totals 27 books. What's important is that every word that's in there no matter who wrote it, is written from the experience of somebody who encountered God. That what's in the Bible is written there because the person writing it was either a prophet, an apostle, or someone with a direct link to that person. So what's in the Bible is something that somebody had a direct engagement with God. For example, we can look at the New Testament. Half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Would you say Paul is somebody who had an encounter with God? Absolutely, right? What happened? He's on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden Jesus appears to him and says, Paul, you and I gotta have a talk. Paul had a direct experience with Jesus. And as a result of that experience, life was changed, and now he gives witness to us through the Bible, from that direct experience and encounter with Jesus. We can go to other parts of the New Testament, we can look at um, uh, the other Paul's writings, there's the Gospel of John, there's Peter's writings, Uh, there's other disciples, apostles who have written there, we can see all the way through that the people who are writing this are people who have direct relationships with Jesus. If they haven't had a direct relationship with Jesus, they've had a direct relationship with the person who had a direct relationship with Jesus. Does all that make sense? That what is written there is not written from obscurity. It is written based on living people having living encounters with God. It is first-hand experience. That's why Ephesians 20 can say, that the Bible is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. He is pointing to us and saying, look, this isn't just any book written by anybody. This is a book written by people who have had first-hand encounters with the living God. And you can trust it because the people who are writing it are writing it from their experience of or if you go to 2 Peter, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they, carried along, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is God being involved in the lives of people and filling them with the Holy Spirit. can trust the Bible is true because we know where it came from. We know the experience of the people and where it came from. Second one. You can trust the Bible is true when you think about how incredibly unique the Bible is compared to any other book. The Bible is uh, incredibly unique. Number one, it's unique in its composition. Think about this. The Bible was written over 1,600 years, when you take Old Testament, New Testament, you look at what we project uh, when things were written, over 1,600 years pass from the, when you start writing it to when the Bible is finished, okay? Is that a long time? That's a long work in progress, right? 1,600 years, it has at least 40 different authors. At least 40 different people are writing in these books, And all of those people come from a variety of different backgrounds. And we know it was originally written in at least three different languages from three different continents. And yet when you look at it all and you put it all together, the Bible is incredible in its continuity and its agreement from cover to cover. I mean, think about that. Over 1,600 years, over 40 different plus authors And yet the whole thing hangs together, congruent and in agreement with itself. That is an incredible feat. If we would take a handout of papers today and get those pencils working for you, and just give you one subject to write about, everybody in the room just write one paragraph on one subject, do you suppose we would end up with every paragraph saying basically the same thing? I doubt it. I doubt it. And yet, when you look at the Bible, 1,600 years, 40-plus authors, different languages, different continents, and yet, when it's all done, it holds together in continuity and agreement. One has to look at that and say, that is incredible. Then you look at the Bible's circulation. The Bible is the single most published book in the history of the world. No the book has been published more than the Bible. Billions have been printed, and year after year, the Bible is the number one bestseller. Year after year, it is the most printed book ever printed. Beyond that, in its translation, it is the single most translated book. To date, there are over a thousand different translations of the Bible into a thousand different languages. Isn't that incredible? thousand different languages, and they're still working and translating it into more. They're not done yet. The book has been translated into over a thousand different languages. Then you go beyond that and you look at its durability. This book has endured more than any other book. We know from history that there have been kings and you know people in power who have tried to wipe out this book. But this book has survived bans and burnings and ridicule and criticism. Even though people have tried to burn it and wipe it out of their kingdoms, the Bible still perseveres. People have risked their lives to save one copy of this incredible book. This book is incredibly unique. And most of all, in my estimation, the most powerful witness to the truth of the Bible is this next one. And that is its effect on people. The most powerful witness to the truth of the Bible is the effect that this book has on people. When you read a book, what usually happens? Well, you read the book, you finish the book, and then what do you often do with the book? Put it on the shelf? You bet. How often do you pull that book down off the shelf? You've written it you know, read a novel, a self-help book, whatever, you put it on the shelf, how frequently do you pull it down? Not too often. Right? Why don't you pull it down more often? Well, because you know, when you read the book again, you're going to read it again, and it's going to say the same thing. Right? Yet the Bible is this incredible book that when you read it through once, you can read it through again, and hear something completely new. You can read the Bible over and over and over again. And every time you read through the Bible, it speaks to you in incredible new ways and new insights and new opportunities to grow and mature in the faith. The Bible is a book that never ends. It just keeps speaking to us. And when it speaks to us, it alters our worldview. It changes the way we relate with people. It changes our values and our ethics. It even changes the way we use words in our vocabulary, and it changes the way we view eternity. The Bible is an incredible book that continues to speak to absolutely every generation. It never gets old. It never gets old. In Hebrews, the Bible says of itself, For the Word of God is living and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's telling you, this book is a powerful book. This book has a power in and of itself to speak to the deepest parts of your life and your being. The proof and truth of the Bible is just looking at the incredible power it exerts in the lives of people. Need more evidence? Let's look at some some, uh, some realistic kind of mental evidence here. If you go to the next one, how is the Bible? how the Bible has been copied and translated. One evidence for the truth of the Bible is to see how the Bible, unlike any other book, has been maintained in its integrity, in its translation integrity. Uh, The Bible was written originally in uh, three different languages. Now, that may surprise some of you because you want to say two languages, right? So you want to say the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Exactly. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. 99% of the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. But there is one small section in the book of Daniel In the book of Daniel, there's a small section of the original uh, writings that was written in Aramaic. Why? Because Daniel was exiled to Babylon. And what do you suppose the language of the people in Babylon was? Aramaic. You bet. So to communicate to the people he lived with, to communicate to the people who were there, he also wrote in Aramaic. So 99% of the Old Testament is Hebrew, but there's one small section that is Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek. Now, here's something really cool. If you know Greek, there are two kinds of Greek. There is something called High Greek, or Classic Greek. That was the language of philosophers and the intellectual, right? And then there's Low Greek, which is also called Koine Greek. That was the language of the common folks. Now, if you had to take a guess, which language do you suppose God chose to write the New Testament in? Language of the people. Koine Greek. Isn't that neat? Language of the people. He didn't write it in the language of the philosophers and, you know, the high learned. He wrote it in the everyday language of the people. Isn't that a great witness? He wrote it in a language that, that everyone could grab hold of and understand. Well, we know that's the original languages, but uh, there's not many of us in the room that are going to read it in Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, correct? Yeah, you bet. So we read it in English. So how did we get from those to these? A lot of people would want to throw stones at the Bible and say, "See, we've lost so much in the translation. It's these translations today aren't really comparable to the translations that was really written. It's all been fragmented, and you know what you have now is a creation." Of men. Not true. The Bible is the most accurately translated book ever written. The reason is the people who translated the Bible from the beginning were absolutely meticulous in their translations. From AD to AD uh, there was a group called the Talmudim, and they were absolutely meticulous. They had special skins, animal skins specially prepared animal skins just for this purpose. The skins were laid out so they had certain numbers of columns and certain numbers of lines. They had a recipe for a specific ink that had to be used. And before the person who was doing the translating could even start translating, he had to go take a bath, a full body bath, to be pure enough to make sure he didn't bring any impurities into translating God's word. Isn't that incredible? This was done with absolute uh, care and, metic- and meticulously done. And that was the first step. Then you go to these guys called the Masorets. They did it from 500 to 900 A.D., and guess what? They were even more meticulous in what they did when they translated the Old Testament. These guys were so meticulous, what they did is they sat down and they counted and numbered all of the verses. And then they counted and they numbered all of the words. And then they counted and they numbered every letter. Okay? Verses, words, letters. All of them numbered. After they translated the book, they would sit down and recount all the verses, all the numbers, and all the words to make sure that the new translation was exactly the same as the old translation. If they found one mistake, you know what they do? Well, they fix it. If they found two mistakes, you know what they do? Well, they fix it. If they found three mistakes, you know what they do? They throw the new one out. If the new one had three mistakes, this guy's life works would be gone. They throw it out. That's how dedicated they were to being accurate in the translations. Prior to 1947, the oldest manuscript we had, for translation, the oldest manuscript we had in the Old Testament was from the 9th century. Pretty old. Then along came the Dead Sea Scrolls. Heard of those? mm mm-hmm. Sheep heard finds a bunch of jars in a cave uh, by Qumran, and they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They took the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are even older than the 9th century. They took the Dead Sea Scrolls. They sat those down and they started comparing them with the translations and they were almost absolutely identical. Isn't that incredible? By the way, I've seen the scroll of Isaiah from the Dead Sea Scrolls. It is incredibly complete. And they sat down and they compared them and they are absolutely almost identical. And the flaws that they found were just minor insignificant flaws. There is no other book That can claim to be translated so precisely as the Bible is. The same is true with the New Testament. For the New Testament, we've got like 24,000 ancient manuscripts around the New Testament to be able to compare and make sure that the translations are (laughs) correct. And the good news is, for us in our modern day, when we get these translations, these translations aren't based on the German translation or the Latin translation of the Vulgate. We go back now to the original Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew and translate from those original ancient manuscripts into what becomes that, that pile of the books today. There's no other book that is as accurate in its translation uh, as the Bible is. Isn't that incredible? If you're into that, well, you've got to be wow. Well, um Other folks would look and say, well, how can the Bible be true? I thought science was proving that the Bible was wrong in all kinds of places. What about this, that it doesn't compare? Well, the reality is, science is proving more truth about the Bible than non-truth about the Bible. Let me give you an example. Did you know that at one point in time, there were some very learned scientists who actually believed, now these were learned people, top of the line learned people, and they actually believed that the world was flat. Did you know that? Incredible that somebody could believe that, right? But they actually believed the world was flat. In contrast, do you know what Genesis teaches you about the world? It teaches you that it's a sphere. And so today we've come to understand the world is, you could say, round, right? The spirit is round. Yeah. But there was a time, remember, which was true. The sphere. Another example would be, do you know that there were some learned physicians at one point in human history who thought the best thing they could do to heal a person was to bleed them? You've heard about that, right? Uh Uh-huh. And that learned, intelligent, smart people, they said, look, the best thing we can do for science and health is to bleed people. And, of course, today we've learned that's not a good thing, right? Uh And yet the Bible tells you, way back when, that life and health is in the blood. The Bible knew long before that blood is valuable and important to hang on to. Because in the blood is the life. The reality is that the Bible affirms a lot more scientific stuff than many of us realize. For instance, the Bible describes the conservation of mass and energy. It describes the hydraulic cycle of evaporation, condensation, and precipitation. Uh, It uh, uh, describes the effects of emotions on physical health. It talks about the spread of contagious diseases by uh, close contact, and it also speaks to us about the importance of sanitation uh, relative to our health. All that's in the Bible, all of which we've come to learn and know in the scientific world. The reality is the Bible, even though it's not written as a scientific book, includes observations that affirm what we've learned to be true today. Did that go? All right, last one, and then... We'll end it. Uh, the Bible says that, um, um, that in, in uh, John, Jesus says, Say to them by the truth, and your, your word is truth. So the Bible's bearing yeah. out to be more truthful than what many scientists uh, would give them credit for. Uh, I'll give you one more example, by the way, about science. This is a good one. Archaeology today is affirming more and more the truth of the Bible. Here's one example. Archaeologists and historians were really baffled for a while because when they looked at the period of Babylon when Daniel the prophet was writing, they looked at Daniel's writings and they said, you know what, the Bible's got it wrong. That Daniel is referring to the wrong king. And that all of their archaeological discoveries were affirming that there was a different king in Babylon during the time that supposedly Daniel was writing. So all of the historians were saying who was wrong? Well, they're saying Daniel was wrong, right? Okay? They're saying Daniel is wrong. Archaeologists kept searching, searching, searching. They uncovered three stones. On the stones, they gave a description of the time of Daniel. And they described the king during Daniel's time. Now, here's what's interesting. On those three stones, they named the king that the historians had been talking about and said, absolutely, he was king. But as they read further on the stones, the stones also told them that that king led a great military adventure in another part of the world. And while he was gone, he named his son as king. And guess who he was? The exact guy that Daniel talks about in his writings. Who was right? Daniel was right. Archaeology ends up proving that all of the doubt that was being cast on the Bible was absolutely untrue, that Daniel was actually the one who was right from the beginning. It just took the scientists and historians and the archaeologists longer to catch up with that truth. Isn't that incredible? Let me, let me give you the last incredible plan. Uh, one of the greatest truths about the truth of the Bible is how the prophecies in the Bible continue to come through. we will just give you one example. When you look at Jesus and you look at the prophecies that were made about Jesus, between 1400 and 400 years there was prophecies being made relative to the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, the first coming, from 1,400 to 400 years, even to so a thousand year gap. Over that time period, different prophets were making different prophecies about the Messiah who was going to come. When Jesus came, we can go back to those prophecies and see how Jesus fulfilled 332 of those prophecies. Is that a lot? That's a lot. He fulfilled 332 of those prophecies. That's so incredible that one guy sat down and tried to figure out what the odds were on that. He calculated that the probability that one person would even fulfill 8, not 332, but just 8 of those prophecies would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, for those of you that aren't mathematicians, let me give you an image that describes what that's like. You ready? It would be like this. 10 to the 17th power would be like taking silver dollars and laying them over the ground in Texas, side by side. If you just took silver dollars, started laying them all over the ground in the state of Texas, side by side, they would cover the state of Texas and be two feet deep in silver dollars. Is that a lot? Yeah, pretty big. they cover the whole state of Texas and they would be two feet deep. Now you would take one of those silver dollars and mark it, and then put it somewhere in the midst of all the other silver dollars. Mix the whole thing up and put everything back on the state of Texas two feet deep with one Silver dollar mark. Then take one person, blindfold them, and tell them, go out now. You can travel as far as you want, wherever you want on the state of Texas, but you have to go blindfolded and find that one silver dollar. That's about what it's like for the odds of eight prophecies coming true in one person. Isn't that incredible? Anybody want to take that bet, by the way? And if you were in Las Vegas and they said, look, we got a guy who can find a silver dollar two feet deep, the whole state of Texas, blindfolded, he can find that silver dollar. Anybody want to take that bet? And yet the incredible truth of the Bible is Jesus fulfilled 332 prophecies. Not eight. 332. What does it tell us? It all tells us that the Bible is an incredible book. It is an incredible book. It is everything God wants us to have. It has a power to change lives. And when it's all said and done, it would be foolish to think anything else but that this book is absolutely true. Let's pray.